Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 414. Today is May 16th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today I have a quick episode. Well, at least I'm planning it to be quick. We'll see how much I digress. The topic I'm going to discuss is incredibly critical, and it's something that I've talked about a lot in the past, but I don't know if I've ever formalized it in the way I'm going to today. So the topic is the advantage that individual investors have over the big players in the stock market. So things like hedge funds, high-frequency traders, institutional investors, pension funds, these are all normally considered the smart money, and generally they are. Generally, it's the individual investor, the little mom and pop, what's referred to as a retail investor. That's usually the dumb money. And it's dumb money because it's always trying to chase performance. It's reading the latest headlines, which are, you know, programmed propaganda. And it generally is playing on your human emotions of fear and greed. And it causes you to buy at the top and sell at the bottom. That's in most cases. That's why retail investors or the individual investor is considered the dumb money. And while that's generally true, where that thesis falls apart is in a declining stock market. And that's one that I think we are currently in. Now, I know it's been very stagnant and sideways moving, and the major indices like the S&P 500 have done a really good job of holding around 4,100 which is significantly above both the 50 and the 200-day moving average. But at the same time, some of the riskier indices, like the small caps, they've been in a consistent downward movement for well over a year and a half, and that index has consistently struggled to get above not only its 50-day moving average, but also its 200-day moving average, and even its longer-term 1,000-day or 4-year moving average. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I consider that a red flag. I think that's a danger zone. I think that's thin ice. And so for those very reasons, I think that this is a good time to be in a high cash position, if not a 100% cash position. And that strategy is one that is not easily followed. In fact, in most cases, can't be followed at all by the big smart money, by the institutional investors, by the pension funds, by the hedge funds, by the day traders. These large groups of professional traders, by their very nature, they have to trade. They have to remain in the market. The big advantage that an individual investor has that a large institutional or professional investor doesn't have is that the individual investor can move to cash whenever they're concerned about a major market downturn. These big professional investors or these institutional investors and, you know, all the experts and talking heads you see in the media, by the mandates that govern their trading methodologies, or in some cases, just because they have to look like they're doing something, you know, like politicians, whenever there's a problem, politicians have to do something. When in most cases, it would be best not to do anything at all and just let things work themselves out. Well, professional investment firms are the same way. They're charging a fee to their clients, and so they have to look like they're doing something. Well, that's not the way I operate. That's not the way my firm operates. If you read my firm's prospectus, you'll see that it specifically states that we regard cash as a position. 
So at times like we're in right now, where I'm sitting on my hands, I'm marking time, I'm just treading water, and I have a large percentage of my personal money as well as client money, specifically in money markets, in cash to preserve principal, that's a trading position, right? By deciding not to make a trade, I've made a trade. And my trade is to be in cash. Because during times of crisis, and especially during a declining market, but even during a stagnant market, I believe one of the best places to be is in what some people regard as, you know, the worthless Federal Reserve notes. Well, just take a look at a chart of the performance of things, and you can see by sitting in worthless Federal Reserve notes during times of turbulence, you preserve your capital. And again, these large institutional investors, either by mandate or by the simple practice of having to act busy, they have to stay in the market. They have to stay invested. Listen to the talking heads and these experts that'll tell you that they're convinced that there's going to be a downturn in the economy, that the stock market is going to take a dip. And, you know, they're essentially saying that they're about to witness a train wreck, and yet they don't tell you to get off the tracks. They'll tell you, oh, you should go in defensive stocks. You should invest in healthcare or consumer staples or utilities or even, you know, precious metals in some cases. Pick up a chart and look at any of those asset classes during a downturn. In almost every case, they all go down. Now, they may not go down as much, but they still go down. And in the case of a really catastrophic failure, like 2008, they go down a lot. So this is one of the situations where the only time I personally really want to outperform the S&P 500 is during a catastrophic market collapse. You know, if the S&P 500 is down 50%, I don't want to beat the market by only being down 45%. That's the time that I want to be 100% in cash and have no losses at all so that I can simply come in and start to buy good quality companies and stocks when everybody else is panicked. And you can't do that if you don't have the cash on hand. So when you hear the experts telling you to simply buy and hold and just wait things out, or to invest in dividend-paying stocks because they're still going to pay that dividend, or to move into these more defensive areas like utilities or healthcare or consumer staples, uh, or even bonds for that matter. Take a step back. It's not that they're wrong in every case. And in fact, in most cases, they're correct. You're better off buying and holding through most market turbulence. That's why if you listen to me you know, through these past years, there are very few times when I have an overwhelming cash position. But I do do it in the circumstances when I think we are about to experience a train wreck, or at least the downside risk is significantly more impactful than the upside reward. right? And that's where I think we are right now. Sure, can the S&P 500 hold at 4,100? Can it go to 4,200? Can it go to 4,300? You know, maybe even 4,500. Absolutely. And you may see it bounce up to those levels whenever we get some fake good news like, you know, the country didn't default on its debt because th this debt ceiling talk is all nonsense. Just like the fact that the banking system is going to collapse or ATMs are going to run out of money. That's all nonsense. Those are not factors that I'm worried about or that are driving the market lower. What I'm worried about is declining corporate profits. That's a real and present danger. And when I see that, and I say, yeah, the market could hold at 4,100, it could go to 42, it could go to 43. 
But on the other hand, if corporate profits continue to decline, even if just it's the pace they're on now, and if it's at the level that several analysts are predicting, and I'm not talking about perma bears, but real analysts that do either bottom-up or top-down analysis, some of these guys are predicting that corporate profits could get as low on an aggregate basis for the S&P 500 of $185 or $195 or $200 or $210. Well, if those projections do pan out and corporate profits dip that low, then the market will be hard-pressed to maintain valuations where the S&P 500 can stay at 4000 or 4100 With those type of declining earnings estimates and any type of little fear in the market that would cause multiples to contract, you can easily see a scenario where the S&P 500 could drop to or below 3000 Now, I'm not predicting that, but I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned enough to want to maintain a high cash position to take advantage of that situation if it occurs. And again, this is something that most investment firms don't do, and almost 100% of large institutional investors either don't do or can't do. They have to stay invested. And again, that isn't bad for 90% of the time. But when we do get into the 2008-type crises, or the dot-com bubbles, or the stagnation of the 1970s, or many of these other periods that we've talked about when the market goes into a major contraction, then you want to get away from that train wreck. You want to get as far from the railroad tracks as you can. And to me, that means not being invested in the stock market or in bonds. That means holding cash. I mean, look what happened to bonds last year. The mythical 60-40 balance portfolio split lost major money in 2022 because both bonds and the equity markets both declined over 20%. That doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And as a further example, you'll hear experts telling you to move into these defensive stocks or move into dividend-paying stocks. And again, I invest in those things. I've talked about those things as well. I'm a big proponent of owning dividend-paying stocks and not just selling them willy-nilly every time there's a negative headline. Because there's not only potentially tax consequences with that, but also if you sell during a period of panic, you're most likely selling at the low end of the cycle. You want to be buying low and selling high. So when I talk about holding my positions or holding dividend-paying stocks through a downturn, I'm doing it as a contrarian indicator because I think that that's likely a good time to buy as opposed to sell. That's when I can see better upside potential than current downside potential. That's not the case we're in right now. And let me just give you a simple example about dividend-paying stocks. One of the ones that I held on to in my portfolio is Verizon. Now, Verizon is a good overall company. I think there's probably virtually no chance that it's going to go bankrupt anytime in the near future. It has a history of paying a nice dividend. And right now, in fact, the dividend is over 7%. So if you're holding on to Verizon stock, you're collecting that 7% dividend, and you know at some time in the future, it's probably going to go up. But you know what? I wish I had sold my Verizon stock three years ago. Because yeah, sure, it's paying a great 7% dividend, but for me, it's dead money. Because as the market has receded, 
and specifically the market in telecommunications, my Verizon stock is down 40%. So yeah, I'm collecting a great dividend on it, but at this rate, if everything remains equal, I'm going to have to wait about six years collecting dividend payments just to get my 40% of principal back. So yeah, I do love stable blue chip dividend paying stocks, but I don't love them in every environment. And certainly not when I believe that we are headed to a period where the downside potential is so much greater than the upside gain. I'll give you another example where I think the experts are wrong about moving into defensive sectors of the economy. For example, think about consumer staples, you know, investing in things like Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble. Yeah, again, these are great companies. They're blue chips. They're in no danger of going bankrupt. They got great cash flow. But like all things, they still go down in a declining market. That's something you need to wrap your head around. And it was a real epiphany for me many, many years ago when I realized the importance of trends. You know, a secular trend in the stock market is a trend. And that means that when the market's going up, bad stocks go up just like good stocks do. That's what we saw during the hysteria of the pandemic stimulus. Everything went up, right? Everybody could be Warren Buffett and be a great stock picker because everything went up. But likewise, in down markets, almost everything goes down. The definition of a down market is where, you know, 70% or more of stocks are moving down. So right now, if you look at a consumer staple type company like Coca-Cola, sure, there's a lot of people pouring into it because they think it's stable. But the forward earnings in that company are like almost 23 times. It's incredibly expensive. And that means that, oh, it's not going to go down as much, but it'll probably still go down. And when things do turn around and move up, Coca-Cola will go up less because it's got such a premium price today. The same thing, I believe, is true of a company like Procter & Gamble. You know, absolutely, it's a great company. It's not going out of business. It's stable. It has cash flow. It has a dependable dividend. But at the same time, you're paying a huge premium to own it right now by some estimates, well over 24 times. And again, pull up a chart. Even just back during the last downtrend in October, Procter & Gamble fell by pretty darn close to what the rest of the market fell at. I think it was down maybe 17 or 18% while, you know, the rest of the market was down maybe 20 or 25. So yeah, it beat the market, but it was still down by 17 or 18%. Home Depot is another one of those companies that's fantastic. Great management, strong cash flow, strong dividend, no chance of going bankrupt. But at the same time, in terms of Home Depot, look at all the people that have held onto it through this downward market, and it's off probably 18 or 19% from its 52-week high. So you as an individual investor can choose to get off the railroad tracks before the train wreck occurs. You don't have to sit through 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or more percent downturns in the market. And again, that's an advantage that you have over these large institutional investors. One final thing I'll say on that, and this is for people that have money in a taxable account. I'm not about selling stocks just to sell stocks. I do think that the overall long-term trajectory of the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market is going to be up. And so, Over time, 
buy and hold does work, especially when you're buying and holding in the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is constantly being regenerated with new companies. So the good leadership comes in and the old, bad, declining stocks move out. The S&P 500, by its nature, is a stock-picking mechanism. It is a market-timing mechanism. It's just done over a longer period of time. That's why it works. But for people that want to sit in taxable accounts and they don't ever want to sell their stocks because they don't want to pay taxes, you know, capital gains, well, in a lot of ways, I think you're being penny-wise and pound-foolish. You're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. In the example I just gave of Home Depot, it's down, like I say, 18-19% from its recent high. In my case with Verizon, I've lost 40% of my principal. Listen, I would much rather pay the government their long or short-term capital gains tax on my gain than lose 40% of my principal, right? I'd rather pay 50% on a million-dollar gain than keep 100% of a $10,000 gain. Don't be penny wise and pound foolish when it comes to taxes. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's. Hey, the only other thing I'll finish up on is that you can't take what I just said and use it to be paranoid. I still to this very day meet people that have sat out of the stock market since 2008 because they're afraid to get back in. So when I talk about moving to a cash position, it only works if your strategy includes getting back in. And that's the hardest part. Before I ever sell and move to cash, I have to ask myself, when am I going to know to get back in? And the answer there is, you don't know. Now, people don't want to hear that. They want to hear about some algorithm or some specific trigger that's going to get you back into the market. But the truth of the matter is, is that you don't know because we can't predict the future. Oh, sure, I obsess over charts and graphs and fundamentals and all these other things, but at the end of the day, they're all backwards looking. Getting back into the market involves risk. Investing is all about risk, and you have to be prepared to take the risk or you're never going to get the gain. Well, hey, I've got probably one or two blog posts I'm going to be putting out at Investable Wealth this week. Keep an eye out for those. Until then, as always, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best returns.